Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 20, we'll begin reading in verse 32. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Looking back over this incredible passage of Scripture, which we've called Paul's address and or farewell address to the elders at Miletus, we certainly see and ponder the richness and the relevance of this particular message. Why? Because of the rich metaphorical language of a shepherd and what that means for the flock of the Lord. I like to wear cowboy boots. Y'all see them? But I'm not first a cowboy. I'm not a rock star. I'm not a rock star celebrity. Uh, I am not a CEO of a corporation. I am a shepherd called by God to lead the flock of God that God has entrusted to me. That's the number one call upon my life. I look back, uh, I checked it on on the calendar. I've been here six and a half months. I've been able to forge some great relationships. Love this church family. But I was called first here to be your pastor, to preach and teach the word is the primary call of God upon my life. And I am blessed of God to be able to stand and proclaim the message one more time, right? I am always blessed by God to be able to preach the Word. So the call of a pastor, shepherd, is to know his flock, to care for them, to pray for them, to feed them. And we also saw last week we have a responsibility to protect the sheep from the wolves. So today, Paul is bringing this awesome theological and pastoral address to a conclusion. This is our fifth sermon that started back in chapter 20, verse 17, and it flows all the way to the end of chapter 20, and we have learned so much here. Next week, we're actually going to cover 16 verses in chapter 21. Can you believe that? But I know this particular passage demanded more attention. To get inside of it and see exactly what Paul would have to say. It's an incredible section. And Paul felt like this is what the elders needed to hear. Now I would say to you today that pastors across the United States and the world need to hear this today. 
You say, well, that was in Paul's day. No, the Scripture is timeless in its principles. And this is just as relevant for us in the 21st century as it was in the 1st century. This is the Word of the living God. And he knew that the church would enter the kingdom through much tribulation. That's not preached much from the health and wealth guys, is it? Uh, back in Acts 13, we, we learned that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And so he knew that was coming. If you take time to read 1 Timothy, which is also written to Timothy, who is a pastor of this church that Paul is speaking to in this group of elders in Ephesus, take time to read it. You'll see the concerns that Paul had for the church of Ephesus. Remember, there'll come a day when people will have itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. And, and that time is on us. It's been on us for a long time. If you read the book of Revelation, chapter 2, you'll find there was a pinpointed message to the church of... Yes, there's seven of them to the letters. And who's saying that? Jesus is actually preaching these sermons to the churches. And He says to the church of Ephesus, You've been faithful... But I have one thing about you that I would say, you have lost your first love. So what Paul had to say here is good for the eldership, those pastors leading. But I would say to you today that what's good for the pastor is also good for the sheep. It is, correct? Correct. So let's look. Uh, I think the text delineates about five more principles. Don't let that scare you to death. Some of them will be short, okay? But at least five more things I'd like to conclude to the congregational life, pastoral life, pastoral life from this text. First, here's, here's the first thing. Commit the elders to God, who is the ultimate faithful watchman. Do you remember we introduced you when Paul says, Hey, i got a clean conscience. I'm innocent of all men's blood. And I've, I've, I've preached the whole counsel of God, and we unpack that. It comes from Ezekiel. And remember, that's where the watchman principle came from, to us from. And yes, I am supposed to be a watchman on the wall regarding you and to be faithful to preach the gospel. But you really are too supposed to be a faithful watchman. And we need to warn those in the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only gospel that can save. And the personal work of Jesus is the only gospel that saves souls. But we, we were introduced to that watchman principle. And then it carried on a little deeper with how we have to watch for the flock of God given to us because of error. And so if you're tracking with the text, he comes up now in verse 32 and says that the elders themselves are committed to God, are commendable to God. So could this not be said of all of us that Paul would want to say, I commit you to God. I commit you to Him. The elders are charged with caring for the flock. And so we ask, though, who's going to take care of the elders? Isn't that an important question? And now I commend, which is the word really commit. The idea behind that is to give over or to entrust. It means to commend the pastors. Now, in immediate context, who is Paul preaching to? The elders of Miletus, the pastors leading the church at Ephesus. A plurality of them. I know that extends to all of us in Scripture when it says we're commended to God or committed to God. But the fact is, Paul is saying, I'm committing the elders to the safekeeping of the faithful watchman, the Lord God. So I am, the idea is to transfer a person into someone else's care for their protection. The pastor should be looking out for the flock, but ultimately, who is it that looks out for this elder? 
That's exactly right. No one can protect us like God can. It's the same word that Paul will use in 1 Timothy 1.18. It's also familiar. Uh, the wording sounds much like 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Listen to this incredible verse. But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Isn't that great? And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So Timothy is reminded from Paul, God knows who belongs to Him. He knows His people. And so Paul is reminding the elders that they are committed to the safe watching and protection of the Lord. If not, they may become the very ones that would lead disciples away. Do you remember that? When savage wolves come in, Paul says they come from without. But Paul also reminds them that some of you could very well be the wolves that lead the disciples of Christ away from biblical teaching. I'm thankful for, for the protection of the Lord. Why? Because I need to preach the whole counsel of God accurately. Not my opinions, but what the Word of the Lord says. Those who are called and committed and in shepherding the flock desperately need the watch care of our God upon our lives. Not just in the area of preaching the truth, but how about in living the exemplary life that we need. We, I need the protection of the Lord in that area. There's so much at stake in the life of the church. I want to remind you that there are so few today that finish well. My goal is to finish well. To honor the Lord all the way up until God takes me to glory. You need to pray for your pastor that I will finish well. I need to be kept by the power of God through faith. We all need to be kept, right? The Bible talks about that. But Richard Baxter hits the nail on the head when he says regarding pastors, if we fall and don't finish well, there are so many more people that are affected by that. And that is so true. So Paul commits these elders into the safekeeping of Almighty God. I love Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20 where it calls the Lord Jesus Christ the great shepherd of the sheep. We need the protection of the great shepherd of the sheep. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's what your pastor needs. So first, commit the elders to the faithful watchman. Second, trust the Lord to keep us through His Word. You notice that again in verse 32. And now I commend you to God. Look, why didn't He just say, and to the Word of God? But He doesn't. He says, to the Word of His grace. And then He says, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance. Now, what an, what an awesome connection that the word of grace is connected to building up and strengthening, but it's also connected to the inheritance you're going to get in heaven one day. Did y'all see that in the text? Are, are you tracking with what the Bible says? One great thing about preaching is for you to keep your finger on the text. As the preacher is preaching, look at what the word says. So trust the Lord, second point, to keep us through his word. Now, he commits them to the word of his grace. And the idea, ladies and gentlemen, is to the commitment of them to the word of the message, which is the gospel. That's the idea here. The message of grace is the message of the gospel. Y'all see that in the text? See it clearly? 
This means yes. This means no. Do you see it? Yes. It's clearly there. The word of grace. And Paul mentions that for a particular reason. God is most certainly the one who keeps us. But how does he keep us? He keeps us through the word of his grace. How do pastors protect and shepherd the flock? You're protected not by new programs that can spring up in Southern Baptist life that we bring to you. It's not by every different uh, structure we can pull up methodologically to try to run a church, if that's the terminology you want to use. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible tells us that the sheep are kept by the Word. You're kept by the Word of God. How are pastors kept and protected? It's through the Word of His grace. Notice Paul, again, doesn't just say the Word of God. We would all say a hearty amen if we just said we're protected by the Word. But he adds grace in there. He says the Word of grace. And why does he do this? Because it's the reminder of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ that we need to hear. Not just the day you trusted Christ, but you need to hear the message of the Word of grace Sermon after sermon after sermon. It's in the hearing of the word of grace that God keeps us. Now you all know me well enough to conclude that I'm not opposed to preaching sermons of what God tells us to do as his people. Correct? I will preach the duties in the Christian life passionately. Yet for every due sermon, we must definitely need to preach Uh, Over and over again, a word of grace sermon to those that belong to the Lord. It is grace at the beginning of your journey. It's the grace of God in the middle of your journey. And it's the grace of God that will take you to the end of your journey. And we're missing it in churches today. We think that we preach the gospel only to be evangelistic to see people come to Christ. But that's not how the Bible presents the gospel only as that. The Bible presents the gospel as something that needs to be preached and preached and preached and preached and preached. Over and over again. And that's the revivalistic mentality that has damaged the United States of America so much. Because at one point 30 years ago you heard the gospel. You made a decision, came down the aisle, and you hadn't thought about the gospel ever since. What you thought about is, hey, I'm good. Punch my ticket on my way to heaven. Jesus' forgiveness. Wow, sounds good to me. But are you living by grace and the gospel today? This text says that you won't get your inheritance unless you're guarded by the word of grace. That's important, folks. That's so vitally important for us to stop and consider this. It's really easy to get people to want to do and to get you to do. We can work up the cheers to get you to do this or that. Yet what we need as the people of God is to hear those sweet notes of free and sovereign grace. That God would seek you, save you, change your heart, justify you and make you and pardon you. To make you innocent before God. Here's the glory of justification. You're you're declared innocent before God though you still remain a sinner. But before Him, you're innocent before God. Look, folks, without grace, that could not happen. And so remember this. He committed, uh, we are committed at this church to the preaching of the Word of God. And more particularly, we are committed to preaching the grace of God. Pastors need the grace of God like everybody else. 
don't we? It's, uh, it is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance. The word edifies. It strengthens. It is the grace of God that equips us and motivates us. Folks, do y'all hear that? When you're growing in Christ as a Christian, you can bring it all the way back to this point. Have you really gained an appreciation for the word of grace? Those who know what it was like to be lost and to be a recipient of the grace of God, those are the ones that God never lets go of. There's a constant reminder in your life when you want to stray this way or that way. There's there's a constant reminder when you've been a recipient of the grace of God. What I'm trying to tell you is this. The ones of you who know and understand and appreciate truly the grace of God are the ones that are still here and growing in your faith. Why? Because that's the way our God has designed it. For you to grow in His grace. The message of grace builds up our spiritual muscles. And it gives us the stamina that we need. David mentioned 150 years of ministry in this community. That's a long time. Is it not? 150 years. How do you maintain the stamina to basically do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for 150 years? Now, you know what pastors like to do. I'm not one of those. But here's what pastors like to do. They like to run off to the newest conference. Let's go get the how-tos. and We're going to bring all the pastors together and we're going to show you how to run a church. We're going to show you how to going to give you another method. Now, folks, I can see how pastors can get to the point to where they've served and served and served. And you, you got that temptation at times to, to want to try to do something new. Let, let's put something uh, else out there that may draw the crowds or the people uh, let's, let's do another program. But where do we get the stamina to do the same thing week after week, month after month, year after year? It's the Word of grace that builds us up. And there's a fundamental reality in my own life. Before you ever hear the sermon, God used the Word to work on me. So it's really the Word of grace that sustains this man in front of you as well and preserves me. It's the preparation. Long before you ever get What God has put on my heart and the Word of God preached to you as a corporate body, God has already preached it to me through His Word. It's that reality that God uses for my own perseverance. But it also not only says building us up and strengthening us, but it says it gives us an inheritance. This reference is the future enjoyment of your pilgrimage, folks. It's your final destiny, the inheritance. It's the enjoyment of God. I love Psalm 16 in this regard. Listen to Psalm 16. Thinking of inheritance, enjoyment in God, listen to this incredible verse. Verse 10. I mean, excuse me. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. So in this regard of what Peter is uh, what Paul is saying to us is we have the fullness Of Christ's presence. That's going to be the inheritance that you have at the consummation of the age. And the Bible says it's reserved in heaven for you. And Paul says it's actually this word of grace that is able to give you this inheritance. And bring you into this lasting inheritance that God has promised to those who believe in Him. The question we must ask is this. How does the word give us this inheritance? Let me note a couple of things. First, the word... Is what actually sanctifies us. 
Do you notice there in the passage, verse 32? Give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. How are you sanctified? Well, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, Father, sanctify them in your truth and word. That's how you're sanctified initially. You're set apart for Christ by the the work of the Word and the Spirit of God in your life. And bringing up the Spirit, it is the Spirit and the truth of God's Word that works together to sanctify you. It is the Word that nourishes us and protects us and keeps us from falling away. The entire counsel of God works in such a way that increasingly sanctifies us. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 Listen to the word of the Lord. 2 Timothy 2.13 I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. All right, stop there for a moment. Think about this. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Y'all see it? You see how it's all put together? Uh, the, the working of God to elect us and choose us in Him through the Spirit of God at work in us, through belief, but it was belief in the truth of the Word of God, i.e., faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. So as we see this together, in its obvious reference to the Word of God, the inheritance reserves in heaven for us is the Word of grace that gives us this inheritance because the Word of grace Grace, coupled with the Spirit of God, are like forging links in our perseverance so that you reach exactly what God has promised for you. Folks, do you see how important the Word of God is for that? Do you see how vitally important it is for you to be a person of the truth of God's Word? Do you understand how critical the ministry of the Word is in the entirety of Christian living? This is why the primary call of a pastor is to start new programs. Right? This is why the primary call of a pastor is to whatever it is. Folks, the primary call of the pastor is to preach the Word. Number one, why? Because God knows the chinks in your armor and the forging of your spiritual muscles all hinges upon the Word of God. This is why the primary hunger for the people of God should be the Word of God. And let me say something as nicely as I can say it to you. If you don't have a hunger for the Word, you're probably not saved. I'm telling you, folks, if, you're not, if you don't have a hunger to hear what God has to say to you, how in the world can you believe that God lives in you through the power of the Spirit? Now, that may seem, it may be that you're backslidden so far that you, you're just, you've severed yourself away from wanting to hear God at all, but you can't stay there long because Hebrews 12 said, Whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. So either you're going to be under the chastisement of God or come back, or, or you just don't know the Lord. It's so vitally important for, you not, for the pastor not only to have the conviction to preach the Word, but you need to have the conviction to live under the ministry of the Word. Amen. There ought to be an excitement to come to church at FBCO on Sunday morning. Why? Because you get to see your buddies. Well, you do, right? 
you get to see brothers and sisters, and you get to drink coffee. You get to eat Rick Gardner's donuts. You know, you get all this stuff. But folks, that's not the primary reason we come to church. The primary reason we come to church is because we want to hear from our God. And where do we hear from our God? From the Word. We want God to speak to us, and we want to worship the King. What should drive us? Lord, I need your Word. I need to hear it. I need to chew on it. I need to soak in it. I need to make it mine. I need to claim the promises, but you also need to heed the warnings. I need to hear it. I need it preached to me in season and out of season. I need to be reproved, Lord. I need to be exhorted. I need to be rebuked by the Word. I need to be encouraged by the Word. I need to be built up because this is the Word that is more important to me than my necessary food. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Look, folks, you need the Word of God more than you need Godfathers today at lunchtime. That kind of hurts me. I love Godfathers, right? But you need the Word more than your necessary food for survival. It is the very Word of God that brought you into a relationship with God through His Son. And it is the same Word that will bring you safely to your inheritance. I didn't make that up. That's what verse 32 says. It's the Word of grace that's going to take you all the way to your inheritance. Stay in the Word, folks. Abide in the Word. John Piper says the Word of grace is a builder. This is good right here. It builds a useful structure out of a life of ruins. Oh, folks, where would we be without Jesus? Where would your life be without the grace of God? It's a builder in a life of ruins. It builds design out of a life of confusion. It builds security out of fear and anxiety. It builds strength out of weakness. It builds permanence and stability out of wavering and uncertainty. It builds beauty out of ugliness. The Word of God's grace is a master builder. And it's called the Word of Grace because it's always building with lousy, raw materials inside of our lives. And man, that's all I can say to God at times. Lord, I know I'm all you got to work with. It's lousy on the inside. But God, you are a master builder. Through grace, that's how He does it. We tend to think that the Bible's all about us. No, it's all about the God of grace. Who reaches down to change people like we are. That's what God does to us. It is His Word. It is what you need for life. To be able to survive. You need the Word of the living God. So not only committed the elders for the protection of the watchmen. But to understand that we must trust the Lord. And His grace and His Word to perfect us. And do what God would have us to do. Do you notice that Paul doesn't do it reverse? It's interesting that Paul says that the pastors getting this inheritance is the same inheritance that the sheep get. And he reverses that kind of. It'd almost be like, oh, if the, if the elder's on the podium, then folks out there, you sheep, you get the same inheritance I get. But he actually reverses that. I get the same inheritance that you get. And that means pastors get to go to heaven too. That's pretty good, right? All right. Number three, serve with proper motivation. Again, 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. 
You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give, more blessed to give than to receive. What does that mean? Well, elders should serve with proper motivation. Uh, he's already addressed his conscience before them. I'm free of all men's blood. But here he reiterates the fact that his ultimate motivation was not what he could get, but what he could give. Neither was Paul in it for personal status. Now, folks, that's a scary thing to look across the evangelical, quote-unquote, evangelical people, pastors, if you can call them that, across the world, and to see what their motives are. Uh, Creflo Dollar believed God to give him a $65 million plane. If you send him any money, God forbid. I don't know what, all, may all the plagues of the apocalypse fall upon your head. <laughs> Benny Hinn flies around with five or six jets. The list goes on. By the way, I want to encourage you. I told Natalie, sitting on the front row, a couple of people have watched this documentary. But I want to show it to the entire church on Palm Sunday night. You need to see this. I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I don't want you snooping around on the internet watching it before the whole church family comes together. But you need to see this. It's two hours long. So on Palm Sunday evening, you're going to have to make a commitment. I've already checked it out. The kids don't go to school on Monday morning. You have no excuse. All right, we'll have coffee here. Rick, can we do it at night? We'll have Coke, whatever keeps you awake. But I'm telling you, folks, in our world today, you need to see this movie. You need to see this documentary. It will change your thought process. It will help you see behind the heart of your pastor in many, many ways. It's two hours long. We're going to do it on Palm Sunday night. We might start a little early. It's going to take two hours. You need to see this. It will open your eyes to what's going on in our world, all in the name of Jesus. All right? I got sidetracked. But it does fit here. Serve with proper motivation. His goal was not to get rich off anyone in Ephesus. That was not his goal. And what's so interesting is that you know this, folks. Most of the time, Paul was working with his own hands as a tent maker to be able uh, to have enough finances to survive. And, and then when he could, he was bivocational. And he preached in the evenings. And then there's a time in, in Acts where it says, once others arrived, he was able to give full time to the preaching of the Word. Which is interesting. When he writes to the Corinthians, he says to them, I didn't take anything from you. And I did that so that you couldn't call me a huckster or anything else. I worked with my own hands and, and made my own living and, and even gave people money out of what I made so that there's no way you could look at me and say that my motivation wasn't to serve the Lord. It wasn't, had anything to do with my own personal gain. He ministered for what they, there are so many that minister today for what they can get. I want to remind you that happened in Paul's day as well. There were those who ministered for only what they could get. They did so by peddling the Word of God. For most preachers today, uh, or a lot of the preachers across the world, if they preached the Word, they wouldn't have the money they have. If the airwaves on TV put out the Word of God, which they hardly ever read, unless it's about healing, right? Or whatever they read. One verse, maybe, and do the whole sermon. If they stood on the Word, they couldn't have their airplanes. 
And they couldn't fly all over the world and go overseas and also pull the wool over thousands and thousands of people's eyes of a false gospel. Unbelievable what's going on in our world today. So what was Paul's motivation? I'm not going to peddle the gospel. I'm not going to soft-pedal anything. I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God. I'm going to preach the word of the living God. Paul says, I wasn't lazy. Is laziness a thing that we have to deal with in the United States of America? I've told you all this before, but kids act like today they were born with both of their elbows glued to their sides and their hands up like that. Right? <laughs> both of them glued, just, give it, give it. Right? That's true. We have to fight against that. Propensity in the United States. Well, pastors can be lazy too. You know, there's a reason why we try to take care of our bodies and we lift a little bit of weight. Go up in that weight room and we do certain things. We keep busy. We're not idle, right? But when it comes to the preparation of this, you can't be lazy. you got to work. you got to read the Word. you got to ask God to lead the church. And you've got to be properly motivated. You can't be lazy. He could not be accused of being a huckster or a swindler. He would tell the Corinthians that though he had a right to make a living through the gospel, he chose not to. He gave up that liberty so that he could give them gospel. To give the gospel of Christ freely and without charge. Number four, be generous in giving and helping others. Don't you love that phrase? Paul talks about giving it away. And then he talks about that phrase of, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, did y'all know that that phrase is not found in the Bible? When Paul says... In the words of Jesus, it is more blessed to give than receive. You will search in vain in the Gospels to find Jesus say those words. There's some things that are close. But what we believe Paul is saying is, first-hand witness and summary of the oral teaching of Christ was, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So is that in the Bible? Yep, right before your eyes. Right here. But not with the words, not with Jesus saying that. But Paul knew the oral tradition of what Jesus had to say. Uh, John Wesley would have loved Paul's words and did love them. John Wesley once said, Work as hard as you can, can to make as much as you can to give, as, give away as much as you can. I like that. They say that Wesley started off as a young preacher living off about 20 pounds. I don't know what that is extrapolated to over a year, but that's not a lot. And history tells us that when John Wesley died, he still lived off 20 pounds. And he wrote a ton of books. Probably made a lot of money in that time frame. What was John Wesley doing? He was giving it away. He was giving it away. Paul remembered and put into practice the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is better to give than to receive. Mm. Do you know what makes you happier? More content and satisfied in life to give than it does to receive? But you say, well that sounds very un-American. Exactly. In many, many ways, the Bible is very un-American. Could have, again, it could have been passed on, that statement, but more blessed to give than to receive. But there's actually so much joy in giving. So much more joy in giving than getting. There's more happiness in a life of sacrifice than of hoarding. Believing it is more blessed to give than to receive will cut you clean to the root of selfishness and greed. Will it not? Some of us have been there. 
This is, after all, what the greatest servant that ever lived said. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. David Livingston, great missionary, said this, Don't think I'm mad. It's not to make money that I believe a Christian should live. The noblest thing a man can do is this. Just humbly receive and then go amongst others and give it all away. But how has our culture conditioned us to believe? That the way to give or to believe that to continue to keep giving, we have to keep getting. Has that ever thought ever crept into your marriage? Hey, lady, this is not what I signed up for. I mean, the giving's got to be reciprocal. Right? Uh, How many husbands and wives live that way? If I don't get... And I'm not giving. Wow, we've missed it, haven't we not? In marriage counseling, I say this all the time. You think marriage is 50-50, you fell and bumped your head. (laughs) Marriage is 100%, you expect nothing in return. Right? Would it be different in our church if if we understood it was more blessed to give than to receive? Would it make a difference in your life? If we live that way. If we live that way in our marriages. I don't think marriages... And, and, and our church is not immune to it, folks. The difficulties in marriages, failing marriages, would it not make a difference if we just lived this axiom? It is more blessed to give than to receive. For why? Because consider the mind that was in Jesus Christ, that though He was equal with the Father, He did not consider His equality with the Father something to be grasped, but made Himself of no reputation. He came in the form of a servant. It's exactly what we ought to be. Dads in the homes and wives in the homes. We need to esteem others higher than ourselves. And we're reminded of this. To be generous and giving and helping others. We, we have the mentality that I give as long as I get reciprocation. How successful do you think Paul would have been in espousing the gospel to all the areas that he went to in his life and ministry if he expected reciprocation from the people? Wouldn't have been too successful, would he? This verse is also a smackdown to our culture that whines and complains when we don't get our way. We always want a little bit more, don't we? Can we all agree that the kingdom of God is pretty radical? It is, isn't it? You want to be blissed out this morning and have a blast in life? Then give your stuff away. Y'all can't have my truck, so don't ask for it after church. All right. I know what you're thinking. All right. Number five. Pray with and shed tears for others. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Don't you love this? Pray with and shed tears for others. Get the picture. He kneels down. He prays with them. And I think the prayer most likely had a lot to do with what he just preached to them. Exemplary life. Protecting from the wolves. Feeding. Caring. Nurturing. Protecting. How preaching the whole counsel of God was so vitally important. Again, reiterating that, that folks, there's going to be times when I preach things that you've never heard before because you had never heard it preached before, right? Because it's very easy to skip over the difficult texts in the Bible and don't preach and not preach those. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to preach what the Bible says. And when the Word challenges you and you've got this tension, don't take it out on the mailman. If God says He foreknew you before the foundation of the world, He predestined you, called you, justified you, sanctified you, and glorified you, and all of them are in the past tense, don't get mad at me. Right? 
Y'all do know that's the glorious chain of the gospel, right? That's the golden chain of redemption. Romans chapter 8. Start reading in verse 27. And you'll see it clearly in the Word of God. We're not making this up. And you can't divorce it from the Bible because you don't like it. How'd I get on that? All right, pray with those and shed tears for others. Don't you love this? What an amazing picture. Does the gospel create incredible bonds? I'm telling you. Adrian Rogers used to say, when I meet someone, one of two things needs to happen. I need to be ready to duck or pucker. Right? The incredible bonds that the preaching of the word and truth and living for Christ, it, it brings this incredible bond. The gospel creates this, these bonds. Do you think Paul was a man's man? Back in the South, we'd say that dude was tough as a light or not. Y'all know what that is? Elsie Schuford, you know what that is? Where is she? I don't know. Yeah. Elsie has no idea what that is. I guarantee you. <laughs> a lighter knot is the center of a pine tree that is rotted and calcified, and it's as hard as a rock. But, son, when you strike a match to that stuff, it smells like turpentine, and it burns. It's called kindling, Right? And you really, if you try to take an axe and, and hit that thing, it's Louisiana boy knows what it is. Take that pine. As a matter of fact, in the south, you know what they'll do? Old country boys will back up with a four-wheel drive, hook it around that stump, and drag it up to the campfire. Light a match to it, son. You got fire and heat for a long time. And it keeps those skeeters away, right? Mosquitoes. I'm only alive today because of that stuff, right? Kept me alive. But Paul was that tough. Just tough as a lighter knot. There's no doubt about this guy. He was a man's man. He was a man. He was a man's man. Anyone who would say that he wasn't manly has missed it. But here are these men who all work hard with their hands and they're shedding tears and they're kissing and embracing one another because they thought this was the last time they would see their brother again. I wonder what Paul would think about our stoic Christianity that we have today. It's often so much without feeling. And it's so much without emotion. But here's a man with a group of men who felt deeply the affections of God. and The gospel. And truth. Paul was a man who followed his master. And he was a shepherd of the sheep. God helped the shepherds of the sheep to be, to be after the order of Christ. Help us to give ourselves away. Stick close to the word of grace. Built, be built up in the word of grace and abide in it. The only way to shepherd a flock with any integrity is to preach the word. Preach the word of God. So Acts 20, 17-38 is a model for ministry. It's a model for elders and for life together in the people of God. Praise God for this sermon preached at Miletus to those who were elders. And let me conclude with verse 24 again. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and ministry that I have received from Jesus Christ. Paul said, my life's not what's most important. What's most important is finishing the race for Christ. And then again in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. How important is the church? To care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Amen. May God help us. May God help us to be a church that God would have us to be. To be a pastor, an elder that God intends for us to be. 
Shepherds after the order of Christ. That's the goal. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures we've read today. In the presence of of, of assembled witnesses, we read what you, Lord God, said through Paul to those pastors. Lord, help us, Father, to receive what you have given to us. To be hearers of the word and doers of what you've given us. God, I pray that people fully understand the gospel in this church. If they're sitting under the sound of the message of of the word... God, how many times have we hammered the gospel? The gospel is, moreover, I declare to you the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That he was buried and that on the third day he came forth from the grave. Resurrection. Lord, we get the gospel and salvation mixed up sometimes. The gospel is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The salvation is what you've come to do for sinners through the gospel. God, thank you. For the gospel, if there's someone under the sound of my voice that's lost, God, would you prick their conscience and heart? Would you make them alive? Lord, would you woo them to you through your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you, Father, would you reveal yourself to them? Reveal the Son to people here that they may see that they've transgressed your law. They've broken the law of God. And the law says this is what we have to do. But the gospel says this is what has already been done. What we could never do, Jesus, you did for us. Lived in perfect obedience to the law of God and never once sinned. But we owe a debt we can't pay. We're sinners and we deserve hell. But thank you, Jesus, that you came in grace to save our souls. Thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen.